I'm going to skip identifying and just put the bracers on. Oh, nice. It's a custom item I made. It's called the Totally Balanced and Not Cursed Bracer, and you cannot take it off. Makes all your hits criticals with max damage, and you can never regain hit points. Whoa, that seems super imbalanced. The item card says I have a plus 20 to hit, and all my attacks do 10d10 damage. When did you make this? Has this been playtested at all? Well, um, you put it on, so it's yours now. So I, I made it before our session while I was like just waking up, so I'm pretty sure it's balanced. Also, the enemies have it too, so... Uh, we're going to need some help here. Let's talk to Logan the GM and get some advice on making some better magic items. Hey! I'm your host, Sarah, and... I'm your other host, Morgan. We are two sisters. By marriage. Who love to talk about stories. From writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D. To creating custom magic items that enhance your games and are actually fun to play with. We're out, out of, of initiative. initiative. There are tons of magic items to choose from in D&D, but sometimes it's just not what your party needs. Today we're talking to Logan the GM about making custom magic items to enhance your game as a creative outlet and to make your table extra magical. Thank you so much for joining us, Logan. Thanks for having me. Oh, you might, might have been a cable just flew by, but that's okay. Hi, I'm excited to be here. We're so Welcome. excited to have you. Yes, Can you yes. um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with TTRPGs? Uh, sure. Uh, so again, I'm Logan, the GM or DM, depending on where you look at me on the internet. I'm trying to make sure that you can find me. Uh, I am a guy that mostly talks about mostly D&D, but I am slowly but surely talking about any other game I can get my hands on. Uh, most recently is actually the Lancer RPG. So, you know, if anyone likes mecha games, that's that's what I'm totally into right now. Uh, my experience is, let's see, at this point, I have at least eight years, I think. I, I was really looking into it, of experience with tabletop games, uh, seven years of uh, GMing or DMing Dungeons and Dragons. I guess DM is... is in the right prerogative when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons, but I've been running it for a while. I, I know 5e and I've, I've gotten a good hold of it. I'm not anywhere near the expert level that everyone wishes that they'll be, but that's because I don't think you can ever be an expert, but you know, cause you're always learning, right? Always, always. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Well, today you're, you're our expert. Uh, we're really excited. I mentioned to you when we chatted previously that I started following you on Twitter and I just really enjoyed your takes, uh, really enjoyed the sort of discussion that you started and the way you talk about magic items and kind of creating things for your group. Uh, and also the subclass that you're working on. So yes. we will need oh, to yeah. de Very definitely about talk that. about that. Yes, for sure. But yeah. when we're talking about magic items, just to kind of kick things off, I'm, I was wondering what inspires you when you're making a custom magic item? Is there anything in particular that will really get you started in a direction? The biggest thing for me, so if I'm homebrewing anything, it's kind of like, what story is it going to tell? What, what mm -hmm. purpose does it have? Uh, I mean, you can always have a plus one sword and that's still cool than a normal sword, but like why, what am I adding to the game by having this item? So thankfully, uh, I've had the same table for like five years. Like my current nice. one is very well, we're, we are well acquainted with each other. So a lot of what I do, um, if I homebrew something, it's okay. I know this person likes to do this. So I want to make an item so that we can continue that story. Um, or I ask them like, 
when we're making characters, what's something really cool that you want to do? Like, because everyone talks about what class they can be and then what subclass they can take. But given magic items, some charges, a you know magic spell that it can do once per day that is over, like it's over the top, but it might save you in that pinch, you know? Yeah. I, I try to make sure that item is telling that story. Um, balance is a nightmare and a half, but, you know, we can get into that if you want, but trying to figure out something that is both able to tell the story you want to tell and then also feels fair. So as a, as a GM, you don't feel like you are all of a sudden being trounced by your own, you know, hubris. <laughs> so, I do that do all you... the time. <laughs> yeah. Morgan is well acquainted with being yeah. trounced. Um, so do you feel like when you, do you just get inspired to make a magic item and then at some point give it to your players or do you, feel like, oh, this player, I saw them struggle this last session, or I saw, you know, they leveled up and they really need this. I mean, where, what usually is, um, inspires you that way? It's usually what the party needs, because I don't want to tell my party what classes they have to play, but I don't want them to feel like, if we're running through a pre-made adventure, for example, there's certain assumptions a party is going to be made up of x amount of players that can do x amount of things and if i know that they're going to get to a spot that it's just not going to work a magic item might save their butts you know just something as simple as like uh like a ring of levitation you know it, it will float you up for like maybe 10 minutes I, i'm not remembering if that how long that item actually works but maybe That's i right just go me. like here's <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll for 10 it. minutes you float you float so that you can maybe get over a very difficult cliff face you know just something that can easily get you to, from step a to step b um that's like the typical like okay i know they're going to need something but another thing that i'll do is um i'll try to like i don't railroad at least i try not to but i definitely want to have like those moments that the character has this cool awesome thing that they did and i know the item like so like the there's there's a concept i, I can't remember if it's been formalized or not but you know like your character levels up what if their item levels up with them so like i wanted i often try to make an item that i feel like oh shoot this is your anime moment this is the moment that you're going to yes! go like full super saiyan and you're going to like kick ass take names all that stuff so that's the other thing i look for is like okay we're at the story point where this item can evolve level up whatever you want to call it and do something cool and i i like building items like that so i'm obsessed so. with that approach that is 100 percent my favorite way to do it we started rewatching dragon ball z and everything was like oh, wait hold on i haven't I- wait hold on wait 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 like I have an idea. Um, I think we've been talking a lot about the when uh, when they make go tanks, when it's Gohan and Trunks, yeah. and they do the little, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, huh? Yeah. Yes, yes, that one. And I I kept trying to describe it to the group because it's like just I'm the Dragon Ball Z nerd in our group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was trying to describe it because I was like, I just feel like you guys should fusion. I feel like you guys should merge, and like, and that's how I feel about the items. Is like they should they should build on each other and like yep. evolve and 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 fuse and sometimes I mean, there are if consequences you, if you want to do something like that uh look up the concept of gestalt characters have you ever heard of that i have not no. uh so fun little like concept is at level one you're not actually a level one character you're actually a level one monk and a level one fighter mixed into one class you don't Ooh. you take the highest hp 
but then everything else just goes all the way down. So you're not going to double your HP. You can still get, you know, killed by a bunch of goblins at level one. You're not doubling that. But I would think like the earrings from uh, like later on in that, like that yeah. fuse characters together, just like, okay, don't, one of you either controls or both of you controls the character for until the magic item effect ends. And you just like, now you are the wizard with 20, with a 20 in strength. So you can cast punch, but like, you know, get the idea. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah that's very cool. That's fun. Okay. Wait, hold on. I'm distracted now thinking about that. And I'm going to go back to our little <laughs> questions here. Yeah. We have a few questions. Um, I'm, I am obsessed with the idea of that. I hadn't, I guess I hadn't considered it. So we do a lot of like evolving magic items. I love that you're talking about story-based and also need-based because I think that those are both really valid. Uh, But that story, one of the things that we're doing in the campaign that I'm running, um, we've got this two-year-long campaign that's like getting close to coming to an end. And I wanted each character to feel like a hero. Like they're a hero in their own right. But like you can't, each person can't be like the hero. Like that's, there's only like, there's five members. Like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, So one of the things that we've been doing is a lot of like evolving items, like, uh, you know, oh, it started as a, it's like a dagger that's stuck to his hand and then it evolves into a rapier and then it evolves into something he can remove and like just sort of that that like evolution piece. I think that's a lot of fun. So do you find yourself making items that fill the same niche as existing items you've already created or when we're thinking about story-based items or need-based items like that ring of levitation just kind of coming in in that clutch moment do you feel like you're making a lot of items that overlap with things you've made before or other things that have already been created by wizards of the coast that just like fit your story better um i use wizard of the coast as a template i mean how do you balance something without something to like be your baseline but um, I don't think I've ever replicated an item before. I think I've always just gone like, okay, what is the what is like the thing that they need for this situation, or can enhance the character? Um, if I've been lucky, I've had someone who, uh, like, I, th- I think I have one player that just is obsessed with the Blade Singer uh, subclass, the Wizard subclass, Very which cool. is a great it subclass. Is a cool, I love it is it. a great, it's, it's a great one. It's yeah. fun. It's yeah. really fun. But at this point, I'm just like, okay, I'm probably gonna give him like you know something that can like a weapon that will act as a spell focus so he can just constantly have his sword out and not have to worry about anything. So he'll still have his spell book, but like he can cast spells while waving his sword around, you know, basic idea. Um, and I, I think, sorry, I just like, I'm losing my thought. Cause I just like, why do I have to keep on making an item for that one type of character? <laughs> but I guess it's always kind of just, I want to make something unique each time. I don't like revisiting the same idea. Uh, that's that's kind of a, with a lot of my homebrew. I ha- the problem that I get in when I realize like I've done something like this before. I must throw this away, cast it aside. If Wizard does the exact same thing, I'm like, oh shoot! Well, I gotta throw that away and cast it aside because I've accidentally made items that are in the Dungeon Master's Guide without realizing, and I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't realize it wasn't there, but it's there. So, yeah, I hope that answers that's... the question. No, you know, like, I feel like creatives, we kind of, a lot of us have a lot of overlapping thoughts, right? Like, not to say that no one's ever had an original idea. Like, like that's a little nihilistic, although I will go down that route if we want. Um, but, like, I do think that a lot of us have, like, really similar trains of thought. We've, you know, ha- consumed a lot of the same media. We've read a lot of the same books. And then we get to the DMG and we're like, oh, look at that. Somebody already wrote it. Yeah. And that language might be better than mine. Or, like, oh, now yeah. that I've read that, I know how to make it even better. Like, I think that well, it can yeah, go either yeah. way. Yeah, and if you actually think about it a lot, I mean, 
we're we're getting i we mentioned anime you know like we get inspired by anime all the time but like the original creators were also inspired by a couple of things you might notice very common things like orcs in dungeons yeah. and dragons and i wonder where that came from so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i i have gotten to the point where i'm full say like i'll rip off anime if it doesn't exist in D. let's make it exist in D. <laughs> yeah. like why not has there ever been a time you gave like one of your players a magic item and it just didn't work the way you thought it was going to work or just kind of backfired yeah. on you? <laughs> um, backfired on me and the player. I tried to get a high risk, high reward item out. Um, it was, um, it was an item called the scrolls of Naraka. Um, and it's like a set of scrolls that if you read it and it's in Fiendish, it like gave a monk a free key point and it gave them basically these like curses, like full anime curses all over your hand situation. You could punch oh, and you yeah. got extra range. Uh, but if you used it too much, uh, what could happen with it is it would summon a demon, a specific demon. Um, and they didn't use it too much. Their character just died. And it was like, <laughs> oh, shoot, this is bad. The whole point of this is that it attracts a demon and you're dead now. So a demon rose out of the corpse of the player and, and I'm like, well, okay, you can't just, you know, be dead for this encounter. So they, um, they got to play a demon for a bit and almost slaughtered the party. Well, they could have actually, they didn't know that they could. I didn't give them all the stats. Just said, here, you basically are a really powerful monk right now. Um, and that is like the one backfire because I, I put in such a high risk that they were putting a lot of faith in the item. Because like, oh yeah, you can do this, this, this thing, and it's going to be really cool. And then it didn't work out. And then the party's like, I don't want to fight each other. I'm like, I'm sorry. This is the story. This is what's happening. We want to take a time out and just not fight. And like, no, we have to do it. I'm like, okay, you said you didn't want to, but I'm fine with that. that You want to do. Yeah, Yeah. that sounds, that sounds, yeah, pretty normal. Okay, but that sounds like it came out like kind of epic. Oh no, it was, it was great and they felt like oh man we lost our party member and it was like sad we, i mean we we left with the feeling of like remorse but at the same time like what's going to happen next it, it wasn't like well, let's go away it's like let's figure out what we're going to do next yeah they didn't get put in the ground they got put in the wooden boat they got lit on fire and sent out to sea and it was like everybody got some closure it sounds like out of that one yeah that's hardcore um so the you mentioned hubris and and we just discussed a, a hubris moment. Um, I often find that I'll make a magic item and it needs more tuning, right? Like I put something together, mm-hmm. I'm so excited, it's going to be great, and then it ends up being too strong, or they they yep. you know the party finds a way to like use it in situations where it's like I didn't expect you to do that to the door. Like okay, here we are. What do you do when you find you have an item that needs further tuning uh, or you've given it to the player and it is coming off too strong? Like, whoa, so, whoa. Yeah. If it's in a, So what I'm trying to do right now with all my homebrew before I deploy it out there, um, like if we can't all make it to a game session because people have lives, you know, but yeah. we can, most of us can make it. Uh, we do a, a, a danger room situation, you know, X-Men, you know, a room that doesn't really exist and anything could come out at you from any which way. And I'll like, hey, I want to test something. So I run a monster and I give someone like some homebrew I'm working on, an item, a class, whatever. I'm like, do you want to test this out for me and see how it works? 
So I like to do that when we have the time. The problem is finding time. Right. Because uh, for a lot of people, their spare time is, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to play, we're going to do D&D. This is what I planned. This is what I'm learning. Uh, I, I, I know for like a lot of people, it's just like, I don't have any other time to dedicate to that. And that's perfectly fine. Now, if we're in a situation where I wasn't able to test, but I was able, giving someone an item, and I feel like, oh man, I, I'm, they're, they're cheesing me. I am so gonna die. Like, there's nothing I can do. They're going through all my traps. I didn't think about this. I didn't think about that. Why on earth did I give someone true sight? But um, oh, I've uttered yeah. those exact words. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do you? This is the reason why it's not meant for mortals. Um, but uh, if it's in that situation, it is kind of one of those things. As a, as a DM, you kind of have to accept the situation for what it is because if you if you pause the game to rework an item mid-game you kind of just told people like i said earlier this is what they plan to have fun and you told everyone hey this isn't fun for me in this exact situation it's not anything you did it is totally on me so i let the session play out and then i'll talk with the person who has it and say hey i really need to retune that it wasn't fair it wasn't balanced we're gonna we're gonna have to rework on that and Unless someone's like dead set on having the most powerful thing in the game, uh, that's when I guess I treat lay encounters like they're even they need to be more deadly and start throwing things at them. I mean, you can always homebrew a monster that is for some reason immune to magical items, but you know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I'm so sorry for you, Sarah. Um, I feel really bad, but we almost uh, TPK just recently. Are you did. gonna give we us a, a break? <laughs> We had like a couple sessions off. One of our our monk was getting married and that's fine. I guess it's allowed. He can miss a couple sessions. Uh, and so we had a couple sessions off and then we came back and I had been like a month and a half hiatus. And I was like, I'll just give them a combat, a no notice. Some enemies come at you while you're on your airship. Uh, and I had done the math wrong and did not calculate that <laughs> it was possible for them to roll hot trash hot garbage all yes. the way around yes. so the monk is falling uh 60 feet per round is what we decided he uh, became incapacitated airship. in the yeah in the air and fell so oh, like our, our so best yeah just falling like our best fighter his reaction to save himself couldn't even do that well he was stunned so then i'm going yeah. oh oh now if you know speaking yeah. of magic items that like well that this one backfired like that was a. Uh, it was anyway. close it was close yeah, I'll TPK you guys eventually. It'll, but you'll, you'll have earned it. You'll have earned it. <laughs> uh, so, what about tuning things up? You you mentioned like your monk relying too heavily on you know the cool demon curses. When you have a player who relies really heavily on a magic item and then it just doesn't perform, um, mm -hmm. are there ways that you enhance it or evolve it? Really, like sounds like maybe mm -hmm. that might be a, a route as well. What do you like to do to tune yeah. things up? Um, charges usually. Um, Love it. give something something that is ridiculous like a first level spell once per day is fine give it sure. like a couple charges um, make it scale either with the player so it can always stay or give it like if you give a fighter a oh give a fighter a wand of fire of uh, magic missile it's great they can consistently do range magic damage uh, but like you could scale that up to do an additional missile on that if they spend a, a, a charge you know um it's probably uh in in the realm that DD does magic uh the the spell slot system we are like trained to think the higher the slot you know does more damage is always bigger is always better but sometimes with an item you can't just 
you know, put on a higher level spell on it and call it good. There's there's some balance, I think, that breaks with that every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But if you just go like, okay, you can use the spell more. That's cool. That's better. You know. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's definitely. what that's that that's what I would prioritize is like if your item does something cool and it's not an always on item, give it something to give it a little bit more. And and I've I've gotten into the mindset of like proficiency scaling for almost everything, since it's Ooh, the one smart. thing that cons that constantly goes up no matter what class you do. So like. As I get stronger, I can do more things, and maybe you can tap into the magic item a little bit more. So, that's a tip. Yeah, that's my. That would work really well with each level up too. That would keep it, mm -hmm. you know, fairly balanced. You just have another charge, or you just you can, yeah. That's I a love great the idea. idea of moving with proficiency bonus because then, like, yeah. as we move into like tier two, tier three, tier four, like you're gonna yep. see that natural scaling. Um, I'm always thinking about how am I gonna put it in D and D Beyond because like. That's, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's got you like a, in an absolute chokehold the way it does with our party, but it's really like, I, that's the one. I'm old school. Everything I do is written down, um, either in a, in a word doc or like, I, I don't remember the program and I used it years ago, but I used to like make little magic cards and hand them out to them. So like, here you go, here's your physical thing and keep track of that. And that, and that was actually a big thing because I mean, I don't know if you know this or experienced this, not know, but experienced this. The uh, amount of times I've given a magic item to someone and they forgot they had it because it was mm -hmm. written down on their character. Yeah, it just it happens. I'm so guilty you, of that. I'm so guilty of that. Yeah. yeah. You, write, yeah. you write it down. You have it there. And if you were looking at that, maybe you would notice. But normally you're looking at what spell you're going to do, what mm -hmm. weapon you're going to use, how many hit points you have. I'm at two death saves. Oh, man, this is really bad. I forgot this weird magic item I can use while I'm doing death saves can bring me back up to one HP because I'm not looking there. Well, if I say, okay, have your character sheet ready. I don't care if you have digital or physical. I don't care. But make sure you also have the items I gave you. And then they physically, oh, look, this thing that's here. You know, that's you yeah. have you you have a very organized party, and I have a lot of respect for that. Um, oh, oh no, 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 no! They are not organized. <laughs> I, I'm, I was like, how I'm, do they remember their cards? <laughs> it's I'm I'm uh, game dad, so I have to remember oh. things. I make sure that they are aware of everything they have, and I give them their opportunities. Like, I tr I have tried to get uh, combat so streamlined that I go, okay, what's your movement? What's your action? What's your bonus action? You got to know what those are when your when your turn starts, and then because you run this game for seven years, you start to like remember things, and you're like, "Well, I know your character can do this or do that." So again, I'm just game dad. I just know things, and it sounds it would be nice to get to the point where I'm not remembering everything, but at the same time, they don't need to. They can they know how to play their character. I know how to run monsters that are ridiculous. So that's that's where we are. Our group is like, uh, after every session, I remember that the rogue has, I give him a monocle that gives him advantage, like a reticle, again, anime inspired, a reticle yep. monocle uh, that gives him advantage so that he gets sneak attack, even if he's not in a position to get sneak attack, he never uses it. Totally forget. Maybe, maybe like 50% of the time. Yeah, so, he, so yeah, you know, like, <laughs> if you ever want to think about like balancing and am I doing it right? Uh, have you looked in Tasha's optional features? Ooh, I mean, like through some, uh, you know, yeah. he because there's that there's that new one for Rogue that he has been using yeah. actually quite a lot, where you yeah, he uses no movement. You just aim. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that I I would have created an item that does that exact same thing, but they just made it an optional feature. You know, like 
I like, think it's great. Yeah, if if you just literally take the time to aim your weapon, your throwing knife, your bow, your whatever, yeah, it, it, let's give you advantage. Let's make rogues cool. Um, they should they should be able to do their abilities at all times. It's just you know how you're doing it. Of course, you can give me a swashbuckler, and then you always like you don't have to worry because <laughs> you'll always get to use your sla- your sneak attack damage. So yeah. Yeah, you made all of us monocles with all different abilities, and I, I play just a warlock. Be dorks, I want to just like. <laughs> yeah, I play a warlock, monocle and I crew. really wanted um, the monk ability where you can uh, extract, extract aspects. aspects. Yeah. I wanted that, and so mm. she made me a monocle that I can see like resistances or immunities, and I never mm. used it. I've used yeah, it. I was gonna say, a when's the last time, time you've used that? Well, <laughs> the problem a is fight like a year ago. <laughs> If the problem is if we are meeting another, like an NPC and I pull it out to look at it, it sometimes will kind of tip off the rest of the party that I'm going to attack. And I think it gets mm. them in the wrong mindset of let's just talk. This is just a talking, yeah. like negotiated. They I mean, instantly are like, oh, this we're going to attack. And then they get kind of excited. And so I have to be careful <laughs> whenever I take it out. So, but it's great. It's great. You mentioned uh, playtesting things in your battle room. I think that that's absolutely brilliant. And uh, I know also you've got a subclass in the works, a Bardic subclass in the works, and you've got actual playtesters for that, which is like, it's very cool. I think that's very cool. How how do you even get started on that? Um, Okay, so pandemic happened. (laughs) Right, sure. And and so um, I am black and I'm queer. And I, actually, I should, that's a random thing to spew out without the context. I'm making a class based off of Vogue. Uh, are you, if a lot of people are familiar with the concept, they've seen at least Madonna's video. You might yeah. have seen Paris is Burning. You, but the big thing is that I've always enjoyed the concept of Vogue. Unfortunately, I'm stuck in the Midwest where we don't have nice ball, uh, ballrooms to Vogue in. Our, our drag scene's finally getting up there, at least locally. I won't say all of the Midwest, but we're finally getting something fantastic out here but um i've always been fascinated and i loved it and i've looked into the culture and the history and i've been learning and i've talked to people who do it and it's just exciting and as the pandemic happened uh hbo had a show called legendary uh which actually has people competing various houses competing against each other and I just was fascinated in seeing it in this format because if you look it up on YouTube, you'll see mostly individuals going against like it's one-on-one and or against the judges. Cause the judges are always the ones that will get you a 10 or they'll cut you, chop you. Um, and so my, I just got going like, how do I put Vogue into D and D and what's the most vote closest thing to a Vogue? And I mean, instantly it's the Bard. The Bard is yeah. the vo- is going to Vogue. They have music and art and movement. And so what started that was how do I make how do, how do I translate that? And actually, what people are seeing right now, uh, I have people beta reading and testing it. But what people are seeing right now is actually probably over a year and maybe a like a year and a quarter old. It, it, it is not something that I, I was lightly willing to give out because it is something that I've been very invested in. I want it to be, I don't, I don't want to say perfect. I don't believe in perfection. I don't think it's actually obtainable. I believe you can get the best that is humanly possible 
and whatever's next is your view of perfection or whatever, but I don't think I can get that with what this is, but I want to get this to the best that's humanly possible. So I've always been like keeping it close to my chest, making sure that I felt comfortable. And now I'm getting a lot of good feedback now, and that's fantastic. I, I've, I'm getting a whole bunch of people that aren't familiar with it, which is always fun to kind of go like, okay, you don't know what I'm talking about, but you're willing to be interested in it and you're like looking into it. So at least, hey, I'm introducing people to a concept. But what's interesting is the ones that come out and like, I don't know what this means, but I'm really interested in this thing that can you elaborate more? Can you explain more? Because it's not just an introduction to a, a subclass. It's not just like, well, I'm going to make a, a uh, let's say I wanted to make a uh, vampire patron warlock. You know, that's cool, right? But everyone culturally can kind of say, I know what vampires are. I know what the patron system is. I know what a warlock is. If I told you what, what a voguing bard is, you'd be like, oh, okay, so like, am I in front of magazines? Uh, am I very fashionable? Uh, what, what is that? And the answer is yes, and then some. But like, it's, it's like a whole cultural experience on top of a mechanic experience and trying to translate that. And I mean... I think I have a good hold on it. We'll see. Well, I've gotten a lot of positive. People are, feel good about it, and, and you know that makes me feel a certain kind of way, a very positive way. How so. do you feel about when we talk about <clears throat> like the roots of drag, which are really heavily based in with Black queer folks in particular, yeah. and it has since expanded. Right, we're seeing a lot, a lot of white folks participating. We're seeing women participating. It has really expanded, and I think that. The, it's it's a it's a challenging um space to be in because it, it really skirts appropriation quite often um yeah. or fully goes into it right well so if we look in the history of drag i mean historically speaking there had to be straight guys doing it i mean shakespeare right, right? like like yeah. that is drag dressing up as a woman in a very dramatic fashion to go on stage and tell stories I'm sure some of them were queer in some way or another, but I can't imagine all of the Globe Theater was, you know, gay, you know. Um, so historically, there is definitely precedence of it, but like what we view as drag today and culturally, I mean, there's always been a white presence. It's always from the pageantry scene. That's really drag did kind of like pull from female impersonation uh, to pageantry and like Vogue itself came heavily from um, racism in the, in the, drag scene in in new york um paris is burning is a good example of like seeing how there is like a there is a large latino african community that started vogue as it is today uh drag is is incredibly complicated uh not the i don't know maybe it was the latest rupaul they had a straight guy on there and i was fascinated uh, one, he didn't go home right away, which good for him. Uh, I mean, if yeah. you're going to be here, you got you got to like you can't just be the first one that leaves. If you're going to be the first straight guy on there. But like it was it was I was sitting there going like there are contexts within the queer community that that straight people just don't get. And, and there's like is are we step is it stepping on the the field of like you'll never understand because you're not part of this community somewhat. Yes. But does that mean we exclude you? I don't want to feel like I should exclude anyone from anything. I feel like anyone can participate. I mean, if you have the, if you have the idea, uh, the, uh, the understanding of, of 
appreciation, not appropriation. Maybe that's like a good way we can kind of look of like uh, now uh, women participating in drag. And I mean, there's always been there's drag kings. Drag kings have always yeah. been around, but but women produce, participating. Um, actually, I'll say AFAB participating as as uh, feminine. That that is that is newish. You know, we haven't really seen that much, um, and that's fascinating to me. And I and I would like to explore that more. I mean, I can't be an ambassador of anything. You know, I'm just one person. So, from my point of view, I would love to see more cishet people interested. But I don't want to all of a sudden start seeing. You know, it's really hard because because I don't want to say oh, you can't just do drag and be the character or whatever, because like I said, that's always happened. I mean, if you ever watched... Um, oh, shoot, who always does? I mean, if you think of, like... Um, I want to say Eddie Murphy, but not Eddie Murphy. No, no, no. Oh, actually, uh, the reason why I'm thinking of Eddie chicks? Murphy is... Was... Well, yeah, there's white chicks, but actually what I was yeah. thinking of is uh, is um, Coming to America, the first one. Arsenio Hall uh, does drag... In the scene when they're looking for a, a woman in like they're looking for like a wife for Eddie Murphy's character uh, in in a bar and one of them is Arsenio Hall drag in drag talking to himself and Eddie Murphy's character and it's just like okay this is funny this is like they're performing a joke here of like oh they just can't handle American women one way or another but it also could be viewed as like harmful because this is like a stereotypical masculine uh, you know maybe this is this is not a woman you know and there's the fear and it's this fine line there's no easy answer to that um i guess what i want to point out with with vogue is that there are notably straight people who do vogue it's not a it's not a explicitly queer thing it is inherently innately queer but it is not exclusively queer you know yeah I appreciate you going on this dive with us because yeah. I'm enjoying the heck out of this. So when we're thinking about now, all of that, that's a lot, right? Yes. To, to wrap into a subclass. Yes. So when we're thinking about how, um, how your play testers and how future players will approach, this is your baby. Like you've been working on this for, a, I mean, that's a long time to really get committed to a piece. How do mm -hmm. you feel about, um, and if this is too personal, you can say no. How do you feel about this potentially reaching the masses? Like when this goes a little broader, are you just excited to see your work out there? Or do you have a lot more complicated feelings around watching those custom pieces go out into new hands? Um, I'm fine with people seeing it, touching, interacting with it. It's kind of... The, the weird thing is, like, I know I'll be the author of it, you know, it will be my baby, but, like, I feel as soon as anything that you want to call art touches the world, it's not yours anymore. Like, it, you can be the yeah. one that created it, but it's no longer yours. It's, it's whoever touches it. They can make it whatever they want. And, I mean, this is, this is like my, uh, this is my, like, think of it like Harry Potter. Um, I don't like jk rowling in the slightest i i absolutely think she's sorry i'm gonna trash on her but i do feel it, like do there's, it. Re Safe space. there's reasons to <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah. She, you're in good she, company here <laughs> yeah well, well jk she she's done a lot of things that are clearly harmful to many communities um 
we can talk about how harmful she is to trans people, but like if you read a lot of the passages in Harry Potter and like go to anything that she describes as someone as uh, as ugly, she'll call them overweight like constantly. It's like how she views overweight people as like, oh, they are disgusting. And I'm like, this is problematic in a different way. And I can say if you grew up on Harry Potter, which I was the right age for it, I was like the age that the kids were as the books were coming out. I did not become a fan, but that's a whole nother thing. I, I, I am the weird nerd that is not the Harry Potter fan, nor am I actually a Lord of the Rings fan. And I know that like gets my credit like into question, but I don't care. I'm doing my own thing. Um, but like you can, as a person have grown up on that still enjoyed the stories that were told, the characters that were created and like enjoy the art piece and separate it from JK and go like, you know, I, I don't like her. Uh, I would say now, as adults, maybe not support anything that puts money into our pockets. But if you have an old, you know, if you have an old copy of the book, it's not making her money anymore. It's just sitting on your shelf. Don't throw it away. If you enjoyed what memories it gave you and experience it gave you, so if someone takes my work and they really enjoy it, but maybe they don't enjoy one thing about me, that's fine. That's they can do whatever they want with it. They can they can live it. They can live it. They can love it. They can hate it. You know, like I don't care. So that's really interesting. I oh I, I yeah. was a diehard Harry Potter fan, uh, and I and got a tattoo uh, that is a the Deathly Hallow symbol and the uh, Triforce from Legend of Zelda kind of mashed together. Um, and it was like the summer before all of her real turfy comments started coming out. And I just like my heart broke because yep. then in retrospect, I'm going back and going, oh, man, look at all this problematic language that I really internalized. Um, so it was helpful for me as a youth, like growing up and understanding, like learning fantasy, being from a not really very fantasy forward family and getting to experience this world. And it was problematic. And now I'm having to unpack this as an adult and kind of step back and like even some of the characters names there was a tiktok that where one of the guys was talking about like yeah oh, oh what'd yeah. you name the what'd you name the black guy uh kingsley yeah. like oh Sh- shacklebolt like what yeah, were you shacklebolt. thinking yeah 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 no it's uh it's it's yeah. it's a it's a trip man um you i mean like kill your idols just do it yeah. they don't matter that's that's why my idols are cartoon characters because i mean you know their history it's all animated for you <laughs> i love that so your elements for the subclass, are you willing to share any yet uh, or any are, yeah. are you trying to keep it secret or? I, I mean, it's for for the sake of like, I don't want someone to just steal all my ideas. Sure. And if someone does, I can track that down. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, OK, um, so I call it the College of the Five Elements um, because it comes from the, the term, the five elements of, of Vogue. Um, I, I was thinking of calling it the College of Vogue, but I'm like, no, that's a little bit too much. I don't know if the term is uh, trademarked in that way, but I'm sure mm, someone would yeah. say something. So yeah. like, let's let's do a little bit. I'm um, actually uh, based on some feedback. I'm probably also going to change its name to the College of the Ballroom because someone mentioned, oh, I thought it was like the version of the monk or the five, the four elements monk. So I was going to be a bard with with five elements, and I'm like, okay, I get it, I understand it, but let's. Well, I'm thinking about it. I, it's, on, it's one of those things that that name isn't super, uh, super important. Uh, so there are basically, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five things that 
this subclass is trying to convey. Um, the first thing I want to give, at, like, give the impression of is called reading, which I'm sure we've heard of reading. The library is open <laughs> and all that. Um, I, I basically want to give you, as a, as a character, the ability to read the room, uh, to insult people heavily, and, and by that I'm manipulating the vicious mockery contract, con, con, cantrip. So it does it does something mechanically. Uh, effectively, most cantrips only affect one creature. This goal of this is to affect multiple creatures. You are reading the room, so to speak. Um, Fun. i got to figure out how to do that in a way that's not so overpowering because uh, I already got some feedback going like, man, you're able to do a lot of this and vicious mockery if it hits because it's a save or suck one, but if, yeah. if it hits, uh, it does a lot. You know, it, it, it can hurt a, not a whole lot because it's D4s, but to give disadvantage on all these guys' attacks. But at the same time, doesn't that sound cool? Like you're literally yes! in the room and you're just like, I'm reading this monster up and down. I am dragging them through the mud and then you're just like, like the the wording of vicious mockery is so nice because they don't have to understand you; they just have to understand a language. So like, it doesn't matter what you're saying. It's like someone coming up to you who's speaking like French and just cussing you out, or at least like giving you you know a dress down. And you're like, I don't know what they're saying, but I feel insulted, and that's what I want like the feeling to be. You know, I sense it. Yeah. That's such that uh, that open up such a good role playing moment too. Vicious yes. mockery is fantastic. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, um, then after that, we jump straight into the actual concept of Vogue, um, which uses the five elements, um, which the five elements are hand performance, floor performance, uh, dips, spins and dips. You might hear it called death drop. Um, it, in Voguing, you do not call it a death drop. You call it a, a dip. Um, culturally, you just they're not the same thing. Visually, you'll think they are, but they are not the same thing. Um, Is that Argentine Tango that does the death drop, that does the death drop? Sometimes, yeah. Okay, yep. so we learned that in ball in, in ballroom in college. Like, yep. I had to take a PE class, so uh, <laughs> and we like yep. we learned those are fun. Yep. So uh, let's see, spins and dips, catwalk, which is like you're walking down the catwalk, duck walks, uh, which is. Uh, you know the Russian kick dance where you're like they dip down and they kick their legs out. It's like that, but like smaller and you're moving a lot faster. So um, wow. I highly recommend a Google search to see how they do it because like there are people who are crazy good at it. Um, hand performance, and then I said floor performance, which is just mostly using your legs on the ground. Um, so to visualize this, it's it's using a certain amount of uh, of a resource to start voguing on the battlefield. Um, and when you start voguing, anyone who has one of your bardic die all of a sudden gets a bonus. Um, one of it is like you get a faster movement speed because you're like, oh shoot, we're both kind of voguing right now. Like you're both voguing in combat. Um, and the other thing is like kind of a advanced, like gives you a bonus to some of your saves. And the, the idea is that you're using both the magic of the movement, but the magic of being a bard to enhance everything about your allies um and that is something that lasts for a minute and you're just kind of dancing for a full minute after that you have to continuously spend a resource to get it going um from there i introduced the concept of the old way uh so actually i should explain bard not bard excuse me vogue is broken up into like three three like uh time periods what we call the old way the new way and now the fem way um, they are different types of movements, uh, how they are done, how Vogue was looking uh, 
old way is very supermodel. You walk very like powerfully. Uh, you have a very kind of like you're very dramatic. It is everything is drama. Every type of movement. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like what people think when they if you watch like Zoolander, the you know Blue Steel. Like, yeah, that's everything. That's what you're doing all the time <laughs> as you're doing the old way. Uh, and that is and part of the old way uh, when you competed against someone is you would do something called pinning, uh, where basically you pin down your opponent so that they can't move and you block them from like the judge's view. So like, oh, look at me. I'm the bigger person. I'm bigger personality. So uh, there's a method of like pinning down monsters so they can't move away from you. Uh, this the, the the big thing about this subclass is like it's most bards are support and they're far away or they're like kind of in kind of out. This is supposed to be like something like I'm very aggressive. I am very much going to get in there and keep you locked down while my allies and I like, you know, beat the living crap out of you. Um, then we go to the new way, uh, which the new way was very flowy, but also like introduce like martial arts move, uh, martial art moves. If you look in the history of Vogue, uh, New Way, I, I say, is probably inspired almost entirely by Willie Ninja um, of the House of Ninja. And Willie Ninja is famous for choreographing music videos for various uh, stars. Uh, I believe he did Madonna and... Ooh, I'm going to say Beyonce, but that's probably wrong. I don't think it's Beyonce. But uh, doing things like... like He was the one who did the choreography for it. But like his big thing is he calls himself Billy Ninja because he moves like a ninja. He's silent. He's deadly. He has all these moves type of things. And, and so like this, I just basically have it that you're so stylish. You move so quick and silently that it, it, I have an ability that like kind of stuns you. You get, you get a use out of... Uh, you you learn the hypnotic pattern spell, which if anyone knows anything about that spell, it's pretty it's pretty good as a third level spell. It actually can stick with you through the whole campaign, but you learn it and you get a use of it, which I think is like a fun thing to have every once in a while is a free use of a spell. So like you're always encouraged to have that up and ready and going. Um, and then after the new way, we have the fem way. Um, fem way is actually described as two different styles of movement uh i've already said dramatic before but they it's the dramatic style and then the soft style um soft is very much just flowy dance movements uh moving your arms a little bit slower um like the term femme implies it's very feminine uh in movement so you're going to be i'm not good at like physically doing it but like slow movements across your face and your hands uh, versus dramatic, which very fast, you know. Oh, there's my camera. Yep, there we go. But very that was fast. That as dramatic movements. as it needed it's, to be. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Very dramatic. And and I have it so you can switch between them quickly because you should be able to switch very quickly between these two modes. But these are more. We're at late stage, and since bards kind of get their final feature at level fourteen, I kind of wanted to have it a little more subdued at this point. So this one just gives you a bonus to either dexterity or uh, charisma checks, or excuse me, saving throws. But then you also gain either the disengage action or the dash action as a bonus action, which you would get if you wanted to just be like a uh, like a well uh, a, a a rogue. So mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those mm -hmm. things like you might not fully get up to here, but maybe you want some of these extra like saves bonuses so that you can make sure you're never going to be trapped by, you know, get charmed by anyone or get uh, 
get have a good dex save so it's and it's and it's something that just happens when you start voguing so it's just kind of adding on your existing earlier features there so that's my preview wow wow this is that's amazing it sounds so good so are you going to publish this or where can people find it what what are your plans for this uh i will eventually publish it um i can't say where yet um if you've looked into the dm's guild i'm not 120 percent okay with how the ownership mm-hmm. rights go for it um yeah, if, yeah. I'm, I'm not uh, and and i'm now terrified uh with putting it on even D beyond for people just to look at because now if you read the the clauses a lot like really closely basically they have the rights anything you put on there they have the rights to take it's theirs it, yeah. for them to use and yeah I understand why they want to write stuff like that. So like, it's kind of one of those things. I think it's like one part, haha, we can farm information. Okay. But I also think another part of it is, oh shoot, we did something incredibly similar to this. That's on our website and they'll accuse us of taking it. So let's just put it in a clause that says, oh no, you agreed to let us do that. Uh, both I think are a little scummy in one way or another, but it's, it's, it's business. So, um, I'm looking for self-publishing one way or another um, so that I can put it out there. Um, it, it will be something that I, I'm going to get art commissioned for so that I can actually like say, look at this very pretty thing here that I have created so that not only is it something that it's cool, but it, like it's fun to look through. Um, and once I have it published, I mean, I, I hope that it's a hit. I hope people like it. I hope it's exciting. It sounds amazing, and I love the idea of a, of rogues coming in and being in the front, but also having that support, like being frontline, but also having that big support element, uh, really like enhancing and making the support more exciting. Because I think a lot of subclasses we end up with support being this sort of like, oh, here you go, there's your enlarge, have fun. Oh, here's your bless, yep. and like, does it save the day? Often, yes, absolutely. But also, like, it, it doesn't end up being very glamorous, and I think that it should yep. be more glamorous. I love that. I know yep. I know our bard personally in our game said they're very support and they they'll pop in, do their inspiration, and then they hide. Then they leave and hide constantly. Yep. Remember, I mean, all yep. the time. And so I think, you know, I, I love that. I love that aspect that they can be in the thick of it with everyone else. Yep. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's the the general hope and vibe that I get of this because I mean, watch some people vogue and like they get into each other's like space so much they don't care they have so much attitude and if i can have a someone walk up to you know strahd and go like oh i don't give a shit about you and like i don't know i click a fan in his face a couple times and then disengage bonus action and he's like oh well like they disengage i can't (sighs) and you know like the idea is is there there's like there is like a philosophy to how classes are supposed to behave in D and D and the bard is like your midline because they, the hit their hit die, their abilities, they're not supposed to get too close, but what if they could? <laughs> and that's, that's part of like what inspired it. I like that. And I is hand, hand dancing, is that similar to tutting? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, exactly. Um, so uh, the hands performance, you'll see it very much. Uh, what is it? Tutting and locking movements. So, yeah. So, Logan, thank you, first of all, for joining us and for the mm-hmm. deep dive that we did, because I'm so excited about your subclass and just to kind of see you continue to grow. And we hope that we can be our little like 
lift up stepping stone kind of moment for you here. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so excited to see that subclass when it comes out. Hope that you're able to find a good publisher there. Uh, do you have any other projects that you're working on or anything that you'd like to share or promote? We'll have the um, Sean Evans moment. This camera, this camera, that camera. Tell the yeah. people what you're working on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of what I do, I just post on Twitter. So go follow me there. Uh, I'm at Logan the DM right there. So doobly-doo, type, type, type. Find me that way. Um, I'm also, uh, personally, I've I'm, I'm been getting into actual plays lately. Uh, because I love to play games, not just, you know, DM them. So uh, I recently did a game of Delta Green. I don't know if you've heard of the system at all, uh, but it's no. it's it's like a variant of the Call of Cthulhu system. But we, uh, okay. but we, uh, I did that with a group called Queen's Court Games. Uh, you can find them on YouTube, so you can see find my game there. It's all posted now. It's uh, three episodes. They're about like three hours long. So you know, you know, get your headphones in and get ready for the long ride. Uh, but there, I play Agent Eastman. And it's kind of like the situation that you get in with a, with a Delta Green game is like uh, Men in Black meets uh, X-Files and dealing with the problems of, oh, shoot, turns out the Eldritch Horrors are real, but we're the, gov- we're the organization that deals with it. So um, I, I describe myself like Agent J from Men in Black. So um, but that was only because we had someone else who was like, yeah, you're very much Agent K. So, you know. I'm mostly a freelance agent, so I don't have anything that I'm committed one way or another. Again, that was at Queen's Court Games. Uh, their YouTube, their Twitch, their their uh, Twitter. I think they have an Instagram. I don't know. I'm I, yeah, but you can totally find that one there. And I was in the Delta Green Convergence, is its name. Um, I will say it was really fun. They tweeted it out, and the guy who created the the adventure that we ran like retweeted us and it was like, Oh, okay. That's cool. That's always fun. Big oh my moment. gosh. Yeah. Big moment. So, Well, thank you again for joining us. We've been out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. So get out there, roll some dice, tell some stories, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to out of initiative, a podcast from merely NPCs for more from Sarah and Morgan, follow them on TikTok at merely NPCs or visit them online at merelynpcs.com.